You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. I wonder how many they'll send. We've got so much firepower in here, these walls are race-shielded. They can't take this for It'll probably be uh, 50 Jedi. They'll need at least that many. No, maybe 100 Jedi. They'll never take this base with less. They'll need an army of Jedi. <laughs> I have a visual. Jedi? I think so. How many? A thousand? No. Eighty? No, sir. What? Fifty? Less. Forty? Come on, how many? Two. What? Give me those! Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am so excited to be back here tonight in the Mos Asley Cantina, the wretched hive of scum and villainy. I've got some scum and villainy with me tonight, which... Love having these guys back, but before we get to who is here joining me, just make sure that you remember that the Trek FM network can be found on iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're a featured provider there. While you're at iTunes, hit up the 602 Club with a star rating and review, as well as the special feed there for Star Wars. Uh, really appreciate everybody who's already done that. You guys make this show easier to find by doing that. So if you haven't done that, take a couple seconds to do that. You can find us online at trek.fm. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm. If you'd like to send us an email, go to trek.fm slash contact. Love getting voicemails, so go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm, and you can leave us a voicemail there. You might hear yourself on the show. You never know. And, of course, we got our listeners-only discussion group, which is the Babel Conference. Just go over to Facebook, type Babel into the search field on Facebook. You can ask to be let into the group, and we'll let you right in. You can talk about all the things we talk about here on the network with the other fans. Like I mentioned, I've got some scum and villainy. I'm not sure which one's which, but uh, Bruce Gibson, it's good to have you back here. I'm at least one of those two. I'm not sure which one either, but it's such a surprise that I'm here, isn't it? We're talking Star Wars. I mean, what's the chances? Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. And I mean, I know everybody's going to be like, what? Wait, John Mills has to be right here, right? He's only missed Boo. one. Gotcha. There he is. There he I'm is. I'm hiding, hiding behind, behind the, bar. the bar. You couldn't find me. <laughs> Oh, man. Serving up the blue milk. It's delicious tonight. Uh, extra spicy. Yeah, I love it. So, well, we we're trying to think of something. I was trying to think of something fun to do. And, you know, we, we've talked about the Clone Wars series with Nick Anastasio a little bit. Uh, we've talked about books. We've talked about the films. And you know what? Something that kind of gets lost in Star Wars these days is Star Wars Clone Wars, the micro series that they did on Cartoon Network. And... um. This ran from November 7, 2003 to March 25, 2005, and they really were meant to serve as just advertising for Revenge of the Sith. And we got uh, three different seasons, two seasons uh, of 10 episodes each, and those were three minutes apiece. And then George liked the series so much, he thought, you know what, I would love for this to basically be the crawl for episode three. So why don't we do five more episodes? 
We'll give you 12 minutes per episode, and that way you can actually tell us the story, basically, of the crawl that we got for episode three. And uh, this was also one of the first series that won an Emmy Award, and which is crazy because not only was it on television on Cartoon Network, but it also premiered the same day online as well at hyperspace in the starwars.com hyperspace section for all those fans that probably remember that. So I wanted to ask you guys, what was your general impression of this series the first time around? Uh, What about you, Bruce? Well, because they were so short, it just, it didn't really work for me because you'd start watching it. And then as soon as you're watching it, it was over. So it was like mini commercials for Star Wars. And so I typically don't watch commercials unless it's the Super Bowl. And, you know, this was just, uh, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But to watch three minutes and then tune in a week later to see another three minutes, it was, it just, I I needed more meat as it was going on. But then when we got to the 12 minute episodes, those worked for me better because they felt more like stories. I was getting more information per episode. So what do you think, you know, say now you have volume one and that is all 20 episodes put together in over 60 minute format. Does that actually work better for you with watching them that way now? Yes, it works better because I don't have to wait for I mean, it would be like watching a movie or a TV show and stopping at three minutes and waiting another week and watching another three minutes later. I like to watch the whole thing up front. So actually, and I watched both volumes. So the season one and two that you mentioned are on volume one DVDs. And then the season three, which is the 12 minute episodes is a season is a volume two DVD. And I watched those back to back and they work really well together. So it's almost like a, a, a animated movie, a 2d animated movie of clone wars. And I thought it worked a lot better. Um, even though the first volume, because they're three minutes is a little choppy at times because it doesn't really fit perfectly together as if it was a seamless episode. But I did prefer it better that way. What about you, John? Uh, kind of diving in back there. You know, we're in that time where we're just building up to the very last film. We all think it's going to be the last film. In fact, if you watch any of the extras on these DVDs, which it's hard to find these days because they don't produce them anymore. Uh, <laughs> they're all talking about how they're so excited to be a part of you know, the the final Star Wars and how this means something to that. So what was your experience, you know, with uh, your Clone Wars experience? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to wind up being like 180 degrees different here because I loved that first volume, the, the three-minute format. I was highly skeptical about it. And I remember Tartakovsky, I believe it was in Star Wars Insider, they had an interview with them where they were like, oh, this is bold, you know, three minutes. How did this come about? And I remember very specifically because I was stunned where he said when Lucas originally pitched the idea about doing this, they were going to be one minute each. And apparently it was a fight with Tartakovsky where he was like, one minute's a little lean. If you give me three, I can do something special for you. And I'm glad that he did that um, because I can only imagine what this would be one minute at a time. But I was a huge fan of Samurai Jack. I was even a fan quote-unquote, of Powerpuff Girls because I thought it was very slick and clever um, take on, you know, sort of the the superhero. It, it was sort of like a deconstructionist fun little thing. And so I was already a fan of Tartakovsky's story, storytelling style coming into it. And so 
I think maybe my react, my initial reaction had a lot to do with the fact that I loved Samurai Jack. I still love Samurai Jack, and a lot of the uh, the the methodology that was employed in that comes across here. And I like my reaction wasn't frustration at the end of three minutes. It was I can't wait for another one. This is so cool. Well, that's what was so frustrating is that you have to wait, even though it was cool. So Bruce is already a millennial. We didn't know that, John. Bruce oh, that's is right. really a millennial. He just doesn't <laughs> like he wants it all exactly. now. <laughs> but then uh, vo- volume two, I actually thought the longer episodes, it was funny because the first, I remember the, when I watched the first one, it was a little off-putting to me because I had gotten so used to the quicker style that like I had to adjust my thinking for it. It's interesting hearing both of you because for me, this was really the first time I didn't have Cartoon Network at home you know we didn't have cable and so for me to to watch this i had to wait for the internet to slowly load the you know three minute episode yeah <laughs> we're talking a long time back in the day folks i mean uh this this isn't lightning fast you know ethernet cabled internet no this is dial up super slow mm. and i have to say though i i i liked the format of the three minutes. And to me, what was surprising was how much story they could tell in three minutes. And and that's what was shocking, especially even though I was watching the DVDs here again where, you know, everything runs together. Even those three-minute segments, I was just shocked. You're getting such story from this small, condensed time frame. And... You know, with animation, too, one of the cool things about it is that you you have to plan everything out. There's there's no stray, there's no stray scene, you know, you don't waste time. You know, I, I just think it was fantastic, and I think Tartakovsky really did himself proud and should feel proud of this series because, you know, I didn't know Samurai Jack. I knew Powerpuff Girls just from kind of, you know, you'd walk through the store and there'd be Powerpuff Girls stuff there in the toy aisle and whatnot. But again, I didn't have... Cartoon Network, so I didn't get to watch this stuff. But this was really my first introduction to him, and I, I, he has such a talent, I think, for telling stories in in a very condensed time frame. So glad that he fought Lucas on that one. And Lucas, I, I would think Lucas thought to himself, oh, "Yeah, well, let's do three minutes," you know. Yeah. Um, you know, which is great. But gotta say, that's one of the cool things about Lucas. If you come to him with a great idea, and you have good reasons for wanting to do something. It's, he he can be so wonderfully kind to the creator at that point. You know, he's like, you got a good idea. You've got a good reason for wanting to do it. Unless he has some other objection, then, you know, he's going to let that creative run. And I'm glad that he did here with Tartakovsky because, you know, they were also able, especially in this first season, they came up with all the story ideas. You know, the, mm-hmm. it was all of their ideas of things that they wanted to see kind of with these clones and stuff. I think that's pretty fascinating. And, you know, Lucas wasn't in the habit of giving away Star Wars to anyone that was going to have some kind of link to his Star Wars so fully like this. You know, the books were one thing, but, I mean, to have something on TV that's going to link to your films— you know, that's just not something we'd ever seen Lucas do. So, I mean, this is really his first step into a much larger world when it comes to television for Lucas. Sure, sure. I, You know, I, I think that um, also 
there there's been some um you know it, people have said you know with lucas being so married to star wars that uh and I, i've been among them where it's like i want to see him do some other stuff too i want to see him you know get back into experimental film but revisiting this you sort of realize that this really was especially the three minute segments this was experimental filmmaking this was an expression of sort of that abstract filmmaking that he was you know very interested in earlier in his career and i think that's what it ties into is i I think that that's you know i think it's a shame that this has been sort of lost to time and as much as i you know i just i wish lucasfilm would there are so many things i wish they would get around to releasing again uh on blu-ray or whatever but this is this is a series that i really want to see get like a full remastered revisitation and and brought out on Blu-ray. Like, I think it deserves it. I, I think it's sort of disrespectful that this series hasn't had the opportunity to find a new audience years later. When I was thinking too, even just, um, what if you did a remastering, but then it was just available, say through like a special format, like iTunes or something, which they have a great relationship with, you know, Lucasfilm. So I could really see that working great, you know, do the two volumes again, you know, um, and put some new special features on there, maybe, you know, uh, like a revisitation, you know, um, with Tartakovsky and maybe Lucas and stuff like that. I just think it would be fantastic. So I'm, I'm with you. And I got to say, it was great to actually see Lucas on the extras here uh, talking about why he wanted to do this and how, you know, for him, he was excited to see this. And, you know, when Lucas says he likes something that Star Wars that doesn't have his hand all over it, I think that's got to mean something. So, um, you know, and honestly, I mean, let's, I mean, just straight up honest, if it wasn't for the success of this series, there's no way Clone Wars, what we know of as the Clone Wars, where him and Dave Filoni came in, they would never probably have done that, uh, is my guess. But I think this got those juices primed for Lucas to think, you know what, I'd really like to tell more stories, and I'd really like to be more involved in it this time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean i i could i could i could definitely see that um i i think that it's interesting when you compare this clone war series to the later one that we got that was designed to function more uh in conjunction with the the film stories like it's so it's so interesting to see when lucas does step in how much of a tighter control there is i mean you could almost take this clone wars compare it to the the second clone war series that we got and you can see why lucas his like that there's a certain amount of wisdom when people were saying why aren't you working on force awakens where he's like because if i come in i'm in and it's my show again and so like you know like i think maybe even you know if you just want to use this as an example of that, you know, like that impulse when Lucas is more directly involved, the final product is, it's just different. It's, it's more controlled, I guess, more, you know, because there is a freer storytelling uh, feel to this. Like the, the stories that are being told are not so impactful to the storyline, you know, in, in the volume one of this. Like it's a it's something that's neat to exist, but it does there nothing in this hinges on what's going to come in episode three. That's something, Bruce, that I was as I was watching this, especially volume one, I was thinking to myself, this volume almost feels like 
if it was animated versions of stories that people told about the Jedi they saw in action in the Clone Wars. Absolutely. That's the reason I like these episodes all pushed together into one, because it made it feel like a galactic battle, that there was all these things going on in different planets and all these battles happening and all these different Jedi in different locations. And that's what really worked for me this time watching it. And the previous time I watched it on the DVD is when it's put all together, it just feels like, okay, where are we going next? And and what's going on at this time when this battle's going on? We're seeing something else going over here. We're seeing something underwater. We're seeing something in space. We're seeing something on land. There's just so much going on. And it felt like such a big galactic scale as opposed to the second Clone War series where each episode is 30 minutes long and it's just focusing on that one storyline. So I really enjoyed how this played out. Well, that is, I mean, let's dive right into it. You know, volume one is very interesting because when you watch them back to back, it really does create an interesting storyline. Like there is a through line for everything. And we will do some kind of one-off stories, um, but it almost feels like, as you were kind of explaining, Bruce, that you've got the main thrust with uh, Obi-Wan, and Anakin and what's happening with them. And then you'll have, you know, it, it's almost like, meanwhile, on Mon Calamari, Kit Fisto, you know, like you could almost hear the announcer voice from the other Clone Wars series coming on to explain, you know, uh, meanwhile, uh, Yoda and Padme on Ilum or, you know, like any of those things. I just love it because there is the main thrust, but the other things kind of just, they give you a broader spectrum to say, this this war is galactic. It's not just happening to, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin. It's happening to all of these Jedi characters. Absolutely. And, I, you know, you mentioned the Kit Fisto thing. And I, I got to say, <laughs> it's so it's so funny because you have Kit Fisto, you have the Mace Windu on Dantooine. And it's it's so funny how, like, in this storytelling style, it works like how crazy powerful the Jedi come across as like, I actually They're like superheroes. It's awesome. That's exactly oh, what I thought because you even yeah. see Anakin like fly or no, it was Obi-Wan. I think fly up onto a building. Yeah. And, and it, it like just, they had so much fun with the unreality of it, of, you know, tossing aside entire, you know, squadrons of battle droids and stuff like that. And just like laying waste to things. It's like, again, it's just that fun that fun sense. But then like, I mean, it really does shift when you get over to the volume two, the longer stories, things become a little more ground, a little more grounded. I mean, you still have who knew that hammerheads could do that. And that's my favorite part. Or that Mace Windu can just stick his hand (laughs) into, uh, you know, a vulture droid and make it fly by pulling up on the wires at the right point. Surfing. It's surfing. Jedi is fantastic. (laughs) I I love it. And the the thing is, though, like talking about how this was designed to tie in to Revenge of the Sith, uh, like, you know, the, the final shot of everything, it pulls out and that and it's supposed to tie into the sweeping camera movement in back into the battle uh, for the opening of Revenge of the Sith. And it created the first uh, expanded universe conflict of note in the prequel era because you also had Labyrinth of Evil by James Luceno. And that led up, and they're like, they're, I remember very specifically at Star Wars Celebration, somebody asked, which one leads in? Which one am I supposed to pay attention to? 
and there was a very political dodge answer where it was like, well, Mace Windu does sort of cause Grievous's cough in the cartoon. And I remember my friend Mike looking at me and going, that's the one I'm going with then. I was like, yeah. okay. There yeah, go. no, and, and that's that's the that's so funny you mentioned that because I was I was thinking to myself, what's so great about volume two is that it really does still work, even with the other Clone Wars series. Like this does work really well because it tells a story where Anakin is made a knight. Uh, and then there's like an extended period of time. And then they kind of move forward a few years, you can tell, where they're starting the storyline of what happened right before episode three. And to me, I liked this much better than I liked Labyrinth of Evil. I think this is a, a better storytelling. Yeah. And uh, really, I, I think the tension there is really good because you didn't know which Jedi characters that were trying to rescue Palpatine might be killed. And it could have been Shakti, you know. Uh, <laughs> I was I waiting mean, for that. She has so many deaths. Yeah. 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 And so many different places. It's crazy. So, um, well, okay, I want to jump back to Volume 1 because um, there's some really interesting things that they introduce in that season. Uh, and one, I have to say, what did you guys think about the bounty hunter dirge that Obi-Wan faces off with? Go ahead, Bruce. <laughs> um, and what first when I saw him, I thought, wait, is that supposed to be General Grievous? No, wait, is that him in armor? Yeah. I was like, I was a little confused because I was trying to go back to that time, and I was like, no, that's not Grievous. And I don't know, he's like all muscle, you know, he's this hmm. weird thing. Like, he got worse. I, I don't mean this in a bad way, like, I'm complaining that I don't like him, but he just got worse and worse as it went. Like, he was kind of this big, muscly dude in armor that was pretty cool, and he's got his uh, motorcycle, and he's coming after you, and he's going to beat you up, he's going to get you real bad. But then we find out that, you know, when you cut him, then his muscles all kind of merge back together and put him back together, and you're like, okay, that's a little cool. But then it's like, he just keeps expanding and growing and growing until he's like this big huge mound of veins or muscles or whatever it started to get a little crazy and out of control but <laughs> it was pretty cool though when obi-wan like i feel like you know i'm like uh, bill and ted's excellent adventure right now like that was like really <laughs> awesome like whoa dude and then he like totally jumps into oh my him gosh, he, like yeah. he explodes and it goes like everywhere yeah that <laughs> was pretty interesting he's not my favorite but i thought he kind of reminded me of um like uh, Star Wars Doomsday, where like you try to kill him, but he keeps getting worse and worse and worse until oh, his yeah, true self point. is revealed. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, for me, Dirge, Dirge, I came to sort of a uh, a truce with because the the like you said, Bruce, the first time you encounter him, I'm like, oh yeah, like you know, and there was something Mandalorian about his armor and everything, and it was like, oh cool, I like this. This is kind of neat. Oh, yeah, Obi-Wan cut him up, and oh, oh, he's putting himself back together. Okay, well, all right, I'll work with this. And then they, like, blow him up, and like you said, he becomes, like, he basically becomes, like, a spaghetti monster, and it's like, he's wrecking everything, and I remember at the time thinking the same thing I thought when we revisited it for this was, man, they wrote themselves into a hole with this one. Like, they just didn't know how to get out of this, because the last shot of the entire thing when Obi-Wan's holding his helmet you see like all of the ooze starting to congeal off to the side. So he's like a T-1000 where it's like, how are you going to beat this guy? 
That or the secret of the ooze, apparently. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, the thing is, they later brought him into the comics and everything, and even in uh, Star Wars mm-hmm. Visionaries, they uh, they had a storyline explaining his origin. I'm kind of really glad that they walked away from him. That they were like, ah, this one didn't work out too well. Well, and and that's one of the things to me too about this that it's it's like it's overblown. It's a cartoon, and it's almost as if. Like troopers were telling each other the story of what happened later on, and they kept making it more and more unbelievable. Mm. You know, to, that's what we're kind of seeing because that's how I feel about the storyline that we get with Mace Windu. With a little boy is watching Mace take on this, you know, seismic hammer all by himself, and like thousands upon. I mean, all it really looks like millions of super battle droids, and only Mace Windu is able to take it on, which is. Yeah, it's pretty badass. He's Mace Windu. But yeah, it, it's it's like that little boy is telling the story later on in his life, and it just keeps getting more and more unbelievable as, you know, he tells it. So by the time he's 50 and he's telling that story, it's like, and, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of battle droids, and Mace Windu was just going through with his fists, and then he jumped so high in the air, it looked like he, you know, I mean, you can just hear the story happening. And to me... I can let any of this go uh, because that's how it feels to me, which makes it super fun. Like it, it's it's here for fun, and it's not necessarily here to completely conform to Star Wars. But would canon. it be as much fun if we didn't have the second Clone Wars series to fill in that space between Episode Two and Three? If this was all we had, would we we be mm. sitting here saying this is still fun? I would. Because it all ends on the note of Grievous's introduction, which for whatever flaws occur previous to that, I remember the build up to that episode and they were like, he's Grievous. He's going to be a, the major villain in episode three. You, you know, hey, you know, you're going to meet him. And it's like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And then that, I mean, if all we had gotten was Grievous's introduction, I would have been happy because that was a totally cool and of course, you know, later <laughs> Grievous's abilities changed somewhat, uh, but like just seeing him come on, like I think brushes anything else away. But I, like there are so many things that I thought just worked in that volume one, like Anakin's fight on uh, Yavin 4, uh, mm-hmm. once again. The Saj Ventress, yeah. Yeah, but once again, the, the, the Star Wars small universe approach where everything happens on the same planets. But when he strikes her down, like the other moment besides Grievous's introduction is when Anakin loses it and you have those flashes of Yoda, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon and he strikes her down. Like, that's an incredible moment. And so, yeah, I, I would have been happy for those incredible moments that were there. So those incredible moments are the exact moments that I remember the most from those two volumes. Like when I think of volume one, I think of the Saz Ventress fight on Yavin 4 and I think about the Grievous introduction leading up then towards going into episode 3 from the volume 2 set so I'm totally on board with you on that I don't think of Spaghetti Man right I, well it's funny because <laughs> yeah. I think of o- Obi-Wan versus Dirge but then I, I think of Kit Fisto under the water with his lightsaber and it looks so cool the animation for that mm. I think that's an awesome little vignette that they do and with him smile. and yeah and his smile uh, I also think of the Yoda and Padme on Ilum saving Luminara and, and Barriss. Uh, part of that, though, is that that outfit for Padme became like a uh, 
action figure and a statue. And so I would see it in other places. And so it became something that was more memorable. Um, but yeah, I'm with you guys. I mean, this whole season, it leads up to Grievous coming in and being something that five Jedi had a hard time with. And yeah. that's the first, I mean, that's the only thing in the series that at this Clone Wars series that the Jedi have a hard time with. Um, and they do a really decent job of continuing that, I think, in the next season. Uh, I mean, the next series of the Clone Wars. Because Grievous is not easy for anyone to take down. He's either getting away, or he really is somebody who just keeps relentlessly coming at you. I mean, I guess if you can be taken down by a bunch of Gungans, does that make you a wuss? But Hey, man. Uh, or they, does that just mean that Gungans, Gungans got are complete a grand badasses. army? Okay, don't that's true. Don't trash they, talk they, them. And that was one of the coolest scenes ever. Anyway, that's this. Anyway, yeah, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean that to get off of the tangent. But I'm I'm with you guys. So, Volume Two is very different, as we mentioned, because you've got the twelve minutes for them to really explore per episode, and um, I, I think it's it's interesting because they do pick right up where they left off with season one to the rescue of these Jedi from Grievous, which leads them into this whole discussion, which is an important Star Wars discussion. How does the council decide to make Anakin a knight, and why? Very interesting, I think, Star Wars discussion. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I liked the way that they handled it. I liked that um, the, Anakin mentions Qui-Gon, you know, and, uh, like, the, it does a really good job, I think, of showing how much uh, Anakin wanted to succeed be for Obi-Wan as much as himself, while at the same time they had so much, you know, conflict between them because in the scene leading right up to it, Anakin's ready to fight him right off the bat. And, Anakin, and you know, Obi-Wan's going to be like, yeah, 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 chill it. No, no, chill out, chill out. Something good's coming, okay? It's all right. I thought that they handled it really well. Uh, I accept that still as headcanon for how it happened. So I have no idea whether they've contradicted it in later works, but uh, I'm even if they have, they didn't in my head. Yeah, I like the fact that Anakin was like, "Great, Obi Wan's calling me. You know, what the heck does he need me for now? Like, what's going on?" And then, like, you does he not know that I'm with Padme in the alleyway? Oh my gosh, right. can we talk about that scene? <laughs> that scene was, uh, you know, I they were making out in the alleyway, but if anything that got me about that was the reveal of C-3PO and his gold plating. I don't know if, <laughs> did yes. you notice how yes. he, he has a robot and, and Anakin's like, uh -huh. C-3PO, is that you? Oh yes, you don't recognize me. I almost expected him to say with the red arm, with the gold plating, right. and he starts to strip down the rope, <laughs> and there's this music playing. Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> it's like bow chicka wow wow. Like I was like, wait, now what? Is C3PO going to make out with R2D2? What are we going with on this? But C3PO after dark burlesque show could have been handled differently. Yeah, that that was weird. Um, I did. Uh, what was interesting was to see them work in Anakin and Padme and how they would have to try and meet together. And I, were Luke and Leia conceived in an alleyway? <laughs> Could be. Mm. I'm just no, no, asking. No. It's the scene where uh, where he flies. There's no words where he flies in and she sees the scar for the first time. And then they show oh, the okay. and then they show the okay. building and then the light goes out. I'm like, yep, there we go. Oh, there we go. We, we got the answer. Um. Just back to serious topic, I, I thought it was really interesting that the council 
this is one of those places where in Star Wars you can see the Jedi Council making decisions not because they want to, because they feel like they're back in a corner and they have to. And the reason that they're making him a knight is because they've lost so many Jedi in this war. And Obi-Wan is saying, hasn't he proven himself enough to be a knight at this point, even though he hasn't taken the trials? And I, it, something could be really said for the Jedi letting go of their principles just for convenience. And uh, I think that's that's huge here. I mean... To me, this is all, I, I still have this in my head canon, is the way it all went down, uh, even with the other Clone Wars series, that this is right before Anakin uh, ends up with a Padawan, basically, you know? I, the, the fact that the Jedi Council is willing to say, you know what, ah, it's probably not the best thing to do, but we're going to do it anyway, because it's convenient. It's all we got. Yeah, well, it, also the act of self-preservation, as opposed to, you know, they're basically making the decision also because they they feel the need to extend the order as opposed to letting things sort of take their natural course. I mean, like if they're going to listen to the will of the force and they're getting their clocks cleaned, you know, maybe they need to come to a realization. Like maybe that was their hint to be like disengage, leave, go hide out in the galaxy, be hermits and, you know, live an ascetic's life instead of living on Coruscant. So, you know, I, I think you hit on it correctly where it's this is just yet another hint from the galaxy that this is not what they're supposed to be doing and it wasn't a quick decision either i mean they weren't all in favor of it right away as a matter of fact they i think obi-wan says well he is the chosen one and Mace windu says is he i don't know we're still not sure if he actually is the chosen one so there's still question about anakin at this point even though they make him a jedi knight classic mace windu classic mace windu at that point <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I like that, you know, the way they handle it, though, because they they have this little interlude where Anakin becomes a knight, and then they kind of show the way in which Anakin slowly becomes a hero throughout the war. Uh, him and uh, Obi-Wan together, you know, they're doing all these great things, and we see how he gets his scar, and then they're sent to the Outer Rim. <laughs> this little scene that they have where they're sitting down and Obi-Wan's soaked and he's not very happy about sitting there for the next three months waiting for this shield to be taken down and Anakin comes in with this like what is that and he plops it out and it looks like the the Lion King feast you know <laughs> that Timon yeah. and Pumbaa have gotten in all I just expected Anakin to be like slimy yet satisfying right <laughs> yeah bugs and worms and dirt and he's just chomping it was around. so gross <laughs> Who would have thought? And he's slipping up big, one big long worm, like a big long piece of spaghetti. It was almost like if yeah. you could put Padme on the other end of that, you'd have Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that might offend her senator sensibilities at that point. Yeah, uh, probably. So her Naboo upbringing. Uh, but I, I like that. You know, we kind of transition out of that, and we see kind of the setup, really, for episode three. You know, you get Kashyyyk being attacked as well as all these other worlds. You get Dooku training Grievous. And then we really get to the meat of this second volume where intelligence, quote-unquote, has told Palpatine that uh, Grievous is on a planet out in the Outer Rim. So basically he's getting rid of them. That's why they're on the Outer Rim. 
so that he can enact his plan of, you know, having Grievous attack Coruscant and stage his abduction. And they end up on this planet, Nelevan, I think is how you'd say it. And Grievous is supposed to be there, but he's not. And they end up with basically Anakin having to go through his man in the mirror challenge. Uh, no, not not Michael Jackson challenge, but the, the 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 one that they consider the hardest for any Jedi to pass, which is to look in the mirror and see oneself for who they truly are. And this is where I think the series just gets so fascinating because it gets super deep really quick. Well, yeah, and it also plays very much, uh, you know, with that whole vision quest and uh, the the mythology that that Lucas uh, worked in throughout all of the films where it's this, you know, it's this sense of he's in an alien culture that nonetheless speaks to him. And like everywhere he goes, there are messages about what lay in the future for him. And um, I think it's such a, it, it really is. Um, I think you're right. Fascinating. And I think that of the, of all of the sections of the second volume that feel the most uh, evocative of the, the more abstract storytelling style of volume one, it's Anakin's vision quest that really does that. Like it, it really takes him through a journey where you don't, you, you can mute it and you can still understand everything that's going on. It's just a wonderfully, you know, set series of images where nothing is unclear as to what it's trying to tell you. And at the same time, it's just a little bit abstract and a little bit, fantastical and just really really cool and those images are like cave paintings from the this uh alien race which by the way they look like avatar the movie avatar that race on there <laughs> that's what i thought of yeah, yeah but before avatar yeah. so apparently james cameron just stole star wars avatar again. is now in star wars continuity that's in my we head canon yes there we go. But yeah. yeah, they're like cave paintings that kind of show his future that eventually evolve. You see all these lines coming out of his artificial hand and then it evolves into an image that looks like Darth Vader's helmet and his mask, his face, which was pretty, pretty cool. And we also see images prior to this scene even of a young Anakin with Qui-Gon uh, going to a cave similar to Luke and Yoda sending Luke into a the Dagobah cave. So I like that part too. Yeah, it gets, I mean, the whole facing yourself in the mirror, you know, and what Anakin sees is, will his quest to to do what he thinks he needs to do to keep everybody safe be his undoing? Will he be his own worst enemy? And uh, I, I love that. I think it's really great, and it's quick. And like you said, John, it's a little bit abstract, but it's perfect, and it fits so well within Star Wars, especially... Uh, the more esoteric version of Star Wars that uh, Lucas can really excel at, like the cave scene in, you know, writing that for Empire Strikes Back. You know, it's yeah. really evocative of that, but not complete copy. And that's what I love. Yeah, I agree. Well, I love the fact, you know, he finds the Techno Union has turned these champions into super soldiers and Anakin liberates them and saves the planet. And, um, the last part of, of Volume 2 is really the lead-up to Episode 3. And so what did you think 
with the way that they portray this. Uh, again, it's a little bit more fantastical for the Jedi and their powers, but I man, this this stuff still hums to me. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think I think that, um, like you said, it's it's a it's a little over the top because it's a cartoon, and that's just Tartakovsky's style. But the it, like there are so many moments of whimsical fun too. Like when they're riding the elevator down and you just see Grievous very slowly overtaking them as he's running down the side of the building. And the Grievous we get here is uh, less cowardly, less likely to run than the Grievous we've come to know in episode three and uh, the Clone Wars series. But again, it ties into, you know, Mace Windu, is not screwing around and he almost kills Grievous, you know, in this moment. And so you can sort of see like why Grievous is a little bit skittish, you know, in episode three, he's a little bit like, ah, oh, I've been kind of taken down a notch here, but it's so, it's so cool. And just, it's also so neat to see again, it's such a neat scene. Like so many of the best prequel moments where the Jedi are fighting so hard to protect the chancellor. And, you know, as the audience, that dramatic irony of like, oh, man, if just one of them had been like, you know what? Not worth it. And just like walked away and been like, this or is accidentally this just, stabbed yeah. him. Right. You know, you want, him that, you want him that bad? Fine. We have free elections and you can go ahead and take him. You know, like that that would have been maybe that's what they should have done. Grievous kidnapped him. OK, well, what does the Constitution say to do now? Yeah, it's a fun scene, or it plays out great at the end. It's a lot of fun, whimsical. Uh, I like the big tunnel then they transport through to to take Palpatine away. The the Jedi took him in there to try to get him away from Grievous and, and his troops. And I swear, it's like it felt like they went on and on forever and ever, and a, a long distance. And then when they get there, Grievous is there. It's like, how did he get there so fast? Like, <laughs> yeah. All I'm picturing is... <laughs> the emperor's new groove where they pull down the map and it's like, you were up here and we were up here. And I, this, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> like it's classic cartoon logic. Don't try to you logic know, it. I, also, also sort of like a classic uh, horror movie logic where like everybody's always running away from Michael Myers. And he's just, he's strolling. He's just like, what's up? I'm going to get you. And you know, they round the corner and there he is. And it's like, Oh, well, why'd I run so fast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they do use some of the same voices in this series as they do the next Clone Wars series. So Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Mace are all the same. And uh, so I wanted to ask you guys just kind of what you thought about the voice work here, especially I think the biggest change for me is listening to Matt Lucas instead of Matt Lanter as Anakin. And I actually think, if I remember correctly, Matt Lucas was supposed to be Anakin in the next Clone Wars series, and they made the switch. So... Uh, what do you guys think? Because uh, my wife was watching it with me, and she looked at me, and she was like, that face of, what the, is this? Yeah. This is not the right Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when Matt Lucas, uh, his interpretation of Anakin in this, as soon as I heard it, it was a little jarring for me. I thought, but but after a while, I got used to it because he sounded more like Hayden Christensen to me. Uh, he had that same... Uh, tempo to his voice and it had that you know kind of padme i love you and you know that boring mono voice in a sense but it it 
it sounded a little younger to me too. Like it was just a, a pitch a little too high at times. By the time we got to volume two, I don't know if I'm just was so used to it, but it sounded even better to me. So after a while, it's really started to work for me. I'm not going to say which voice I like from this series or the second series the best. It was just this kept more in line with the Anakin we hear in uh, episode two and three. I think it's, it's more in line with the Anakin from episode two. I don't think it's in line with the Anakin from episode three because Hayden Christensen even dropped his voice uh, when he did episode three. So I think that this in a sense, acts uh, even more so as a bridge. You know, like it feels like episode two and we haven't gotten episode three yet. So the, the, the voice switch, if you will, in episode three, it, it calls even more attention to it, I think. And I, you know, I also will not say, you know, which one I prefer. Uh, but I think that stylistically, I guess Bruce and I are saying the same thing. Stylistically, this Anakin works for these stories that they're telling. And I, you know, I, I think he works. Well, fine. and I think his voice does get lower in episode three because of what happened in the alley with Padme. And all of a sudden he became a man. Yeah. The midichlorians dropped <laughs> and, uh, you know, he became a man. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys are awesome. This is why you're on the show. Um, Wow, I don't even I don't what could I add to that? Um I I think Matt Lucas does a fine job. Um mainly because what he's doing is he's trying to mimic Aiden Christensen. You know, he's not trying to portray his own thing. And and so, you know, uh whether you like it or not will probably depend on if you like Aiden Christensen or not, you know. And I think he does a fine job of doing what he needs to do. Uh you know, James Arnold Taylor playing Obi-Wan Kenobi is fantastic. Tom Kane playing Yoda is, is wonderful. Uh, so, you know, these these guys do a great job, and I think all the other voices were fantastic. I mean, Corey Burton is here as um, Dooku as well, and so a lot of the, the voice actors that we're going to know in the later Clone Wars series are here, and they do a wonderful job, and, you know, I, I like it. Well, I'm not going to say the job was bad, but the only beef I would have would be General Grievous because he didn't sound quite like the General Grievous we heard in the movie. Yeah, this General Grievous, the voice was actually done by the same voice actor who uh, did Bender in Futurama. And uh, that I, I remember that blew my mind at the time. I was like, wait, that's Bender? What? Um, and I, but I think, again, it, this Grievous voice speaks to the, maybe where Gr Grievous was developmentally, you know, when they did the series, as opposed to where he ended up when they did the movie, because if I recall correctly, they couldn't decide on who was going to do the voice for Grievous. And it was actually uh, Matthew Wood submitted his uh, audition tape under an, like a, a fake name just to see if he could get it to fly. And he had just gone to Eastern Europe. And that's why he decided to do the more, you know, Dracula-esque sort of thing. What? The situation. Right. And that and that is what informed that performance. And I think that's. You know, I think it's wonderful, but I think that this Grievous, again, much like Matt Lucas, this is more in tune with the type of story and the type of characterization they have in this series. Well, you know, one of the last things that really um, I wanted to talk to you guys about is that it, this is a series that, especially I think the first volume, not as much the second volume does kind of get overwritten 
uh, by the Clone Wars that we get later. But what I love to me is I was watching this series it, that might kind of happen, but there's so much of a homage from this series to the next one. Like I feel like Dave Filoni and company really took the artwork from this and they just put it in 3D in many ways. You know, like uh, the Mace Window is so similar. The Yoda is pretty similar. Uh, the Count Dooku looks almost identical. Um, you know, the, the Obi-Wan's really the character that's a little bit different and the Anakin. Um, but, you know, a lot of these characters and, the, and a lot of the, the way that it looks, the animation in 3D where it's still very painted and everything, so much I, I feel like they did it as much as they could to say we are children of that show, you know? And so I really appreciate that. What I also really appreciate is that for me, Volume Two is still in my head canon. You know, like I, I, it, it's not really overwritten because they didn't get to that point in the Clone Wars series, and um, so I, I had to say, I just, I'm so glad for for this series. I think it's just an absolute joy and blast. Um, and unfortunately, as we talked about, it's hard to get a hold of these days. Yeah, it is. Uh... I think it's fair to point out that you can find it on YouTube, um, the the complete series. I don't know how long you'll be able to, but it is there. And I can also let you know that there is a uh, two alternate wonderful versions, one in Spanish and one in French, that are also on YouTube. So if oh, you are excellent. if you are multilingual, you can experience Star Wars in various languages, or at least this series. But um, yeah, I, you know. I, again, I, I really wish that they would release this again. Um, I think that they're sensitive. Like, if they're willing to keep printing what they consider the Legends line, just slap the Legends label on this thing and release it already on Blu-ray. And, you know, or like you said, Matt, put it on iTunes or something like that. But just, whatever you need to do, just let's get it out there for people. I'm surprised they don't put it on the uh, or didn't put it on the Blu-ray of the complete season of the Clone Wars and just put it on there as a bonus. At least do that. Oh yeah, yeah. you know um, that that would. I think cool. it is a crime that this isn't available. It, that's the one thing that really bothers me. The out of all the library of Star Wars things, I'm okay that the Ewok movies aren't easy to get. Even though I had to try very hard years ago to get that because my daughters wanted to see it, and I did buy it off of eBay. That, but they don't really hold up all that well, and they didn't, I don't think, when they were on, when I first saw them. I'm okay with the holiday <laughs> special not being ever available. Thank you very much. I can pass on that. But this one deserves another release in some form or fashion somewhere. And I don't care if it says Legends on it or not. It just should be out there. Well, I got to say, so I'm as we're talking, I thought, well, let me go and see how difficult this might be to get, just say, on Amazon. And, uh, you know, you can find people selling brand new copies of it. Um, f you know, it, it's from a user selling it, but it's still brand new, they say. And it's, you know, 18 bucks with, with some shipping. So, you know, that's not awful. And then you can buy different used, you know, versions. So it, it's definitely something that you can find out there. And if you haven't seen it, I say go out and find it somewhere uh you know again you can hit it up on amazon you could probably hit it up on ebay uh something like that you can find a new copy you can find a used copy but it's definitely worth your time and uh because you know um 
I think, you know, when they said on the extras, I was watching, we want you to be able to watch volume two specifically, be able to sit down, watch that, and go right into episode three. In fact, wouldn't it be great if you you could watch, you know, an, this hour's worth of entertainment and then just move right in, in to episode three? And honestly, you can, and I think it works perfectly. And so, you know, when you make your desire come true, uh, what you want to have happen actually happens as an, enter, an entertainer, I, I think um, that's something special. So... And I think it works like gangbusters. I think it works really well because at the end of volume two, it just, Anakin's like, okay, I'm going to go off and uh, get Grievous and save uh, Palpatine. And immediately it ends. And I was kind of like, wait, no, it's not over. And I was like, oh, that's right. Because this is leading you in episode three. And I felt like watching episode three immediately after. It made me want to watch that movie, but I didn't have time to watch it. So that was a bummer. But the good thing is on the disc, they had... Uh, episode three revenge of the sith trailer and i watched it three times just to get that feel (laughs) of episode three (laughs) that's awesome i loved it awesome well i mean i don't i don't even know if we i mean i don't think we need to rate this i think we're just telling everybody go see it uh if you haven't and if you have and you have a copy of it go watch it do yourself a favor go watch it again agree I'm just, I love doing this, and I love doing this show. I want to thank everybody who listens to the show so much. You guys are fantastic. Uh, you know, I really do this for, for you guys, and I do it for my love of everything we get to talk about. And, I mean, when I'm sitting next to scum and villainy like this, uh, you know, with, with friends like these, who needs enemies? So, uh, I'm just ha. Ha, ha, ha. Um So, I I really do, from the bottom of my heart, I do want to say thank you to everybody who listens to the show uh, and makes it part of their weekly listen. Uh, It means a ton to me, and I hope to keep doing it for a long time. So, we'll see. But we get to do that because of our associate producers here through Patreon. We've got Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. These guys are incredible, and they know what so many of the listeners from Trek FM already know is that we are a listener-supported network, and we need your help to keep this show keep coming to you each week. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team and make sure that all of the content on Trek FM, 602 Club, and everything else keep coming to you. Uh, really appreciate all that have already gone to support us, and again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Bruce, before we let you get out of here with your blue milk and go stagger home to wherever that is here in Mos Eisley, where can we find you uh, online? Yeah, that, well, thank you for introducing me like that. Oh, wait. Oh, gosh, I'm so drunk. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Admiral underscore Rex, and uh, I'm always doing something over at Star Wars Report, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes doing some writing or whatever. So you can go to StarWarsReport.com. And for anybody who's going to Celebration in London, come find me there. And Star Wars Report will be on the podcasting stage on Saturday the 16th. Come find us. I probably won't be on the stage, but I will definitely be there helping out. And John, before you find your way home here uh, on Tatooine, where can we find you online? Castle Junkie on Twitter and just about everywhere else. You can find me on Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. You can find me here on the network on Stage 9 with Mike Schindler. Stage 9! That's right. And you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network with uh, a gentleman you may know, Matthew Rushing, uh, on a podcast called Aggressive Negotiations. 
It's a Star Wars podcast of all things. And we have a Shocking. lot of fun over there. I know, right? So that's where you can find me. <laughs> well, guys, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing the Orb here on the network with Chris Jones, where we talk all about Deep Space Nine. I'm on Literary Treks with Dan Woo-hoo. and Bruce, talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek, also interviewing the authors. We've got over 150 episodes, so check us out. I think you'll like it. And, uh, of course, Aggressive Negotiations. Make sure you check that out. John and I have a blast each week talking about something new and fun or different or weird or whatever in Star Wars. And that leads me to the last thing I need to say. May the Force be with you. (laughs) 